Hey, what's up, guys? We are so excited that you were joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can connect and engage with other Grace members around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. We've got a special treat. We've got George, George Campbell here. He's the, he's the co-host on the Ramsey Show for a guy named Dave Ramsey. Ever heard of Dave Ramsey? He's on there every day with Dave Ramsey. He also has a, a very popular uh, podcast called The Fine Print and also Entree Leadership and uh, speaks all over the country and has a tremendous impact. I think you're going to be blessed today. We've got, he'll mention it here later, we've got two seminars because of your generosity this afternoon at two and three. We've got a free seminar for anybody. We've got hundreds of people already signed up for that. Would love you to come back or bring somebody with you that after you hear this message, you say they need to be here for that. So we are so glad that George is here. He's done an amazing job. And so let's give a Grace a big, big uh, Grace welcome to George Campbell. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. So good to be with you all this morning. It is an honor to be here. Y'all go to a really special church. Do you know that? Just in my time here, I'm like, this place is anointed. The Spirit is here. And it is so good to be with you. The staff has been so gracious. And I'm excited to talk with you this morning. So I got a question for you. How many of you grew up dreaming about being rich and famous one day? Don't be ashamed. Right? For those of you not raising your hand, did you dream about being broke growing up? You're just like, man, what's that going to be like one day? That's something to aspire to. No, we all have dreams and hopes when we were little. And little George was full of possibility. Check out this mug right here. Young George was full of possibility and completely unaware of how crooked his bowl cut was. I don't know why every, it's like moms did that just to keep us humble. Just one little off snip. What was up with that? That Sonic sweatshirt, that's fire though. That three-tone, whoo! That's what the kids call drip these days. Some Gen Z lingo for you. My dreams were different back then. I had dreams about being an astronaut. I had just read the Mary-Kate and Ashley book, The Space of the U.S. Case, uh, Space Camp Mission, and got at the Scholastic Book Fair. Y'all, yeah, I remember those? And I was ready to, to get beamed up. And then in fourth grade, I was too cool to read Mary-Kate and Ashley books. I got a guitar. And so I had dreams about being a rock star. And there's me fulfilling that dream at the fourth grade talent show with my band Tempest. That was as rock and roll as a guy. You can see I even have a fan club next to me that are in full support of my Jinko jean shorts, which I think are coming back now. Skinny jeans are out. I heard that. But I, my legs haven't gotten the memo yet. And my dreams changed again. I wanted to be a professional athlete. And for obvious reasons, there's no photo of even an attempt at that. And my final dream was to be six feet tall. Don't laugh. The doctor says there's still hope. <laughs> and to be fair, I am 92% of the way there. Okay? That's what 5-6 will do for you. What I didn't know was that my talent would not be an issue. That was not what was going to be holding me back from opportunity as an adult. It was money problems. That's what they don't tell you. They tell you, go to school, do your homework, get good grades, get into the best school possible, and then take out as many student loans as you need to get a degree in left-handed puppetry and hope for the best. And that's where I found myself. I didn't get a degree in left-handed puppetry. It was right-handed, so that was good, at least. 
And somehow in that list of dreams I had growing up, I never dreamt about graduating with crippling student loan debt, like 45 million Americans, and I was one of them. I graduated with $36,000 of student loan debt, and at 23 years old, uh, my face looked different than young George. This is 2013 George. He started wearing cardigans, he was very emo, and behind that gentle smile was a guy who didn't know how he was gonna pay the bills as an adult in his first big boy job. He was stressed, he was anxious, he was angry, he was depressed. And that's where so many people find themselves today in America, living paycheck to paycheck. And the good news is, I didn't stay there. You see, in 2013, I started working for a guy named Dave Ramsey. I went through this thing called Financial Peace University, and it changed everything. My whole paradigm shifted. I realized I was lied to by the culture. I was at the crossroads of not so bright-eyed, less bushy-tailed and broke, and wondering, do I have to stay this way? Do I have to keep living off of my credit cards, spending on my Discover card and my Amex Sky Miles card, going $4,000 into credit card debt? Was I going to remain average and pay my student loans off for the next 20 years of my life, which is how long it takes most people? Was I going to keep justifying the credit card use with 2% cash back and rewards and Sky Miles? It wasn't working. My plan did not work. I knew my debt was holding me back because I had no margin in my life or in my money. So I took control using biblical principles. I went through Financial Peace University, and 18 months later, I got out of $40,000 of debt. <laughs> Thank you. And it took a lot of hard work. It was a lot of side jobs, and it was a lot of not eating out. Y'all, I can't look at a lean cuisine. I lived off of those things. I'd wait for them to go on sale uh, five for 10 at the grocery store, and I would stock up like there was gonna be a lean cuisine apocalypse, and I was gonna be the only one surviving that. And so, fast forward, this past December of 2021, I met my wife at Ramsey Solutions, we get married, we decide, you know what, we're both debt free, let's get a house, and let's not keep that mortgage for very long. And so we paid off $165,000 in 26 months and celebrated debt freedom completely in December of 2021. At 32 years old. And you know, I didn't think it was, I thought that was for like rich people and stuff. Like that was for someone else. Well, I'm different, I'm unique. I grew up Arabic Baptist, like none of you. Any, any Arabic Baptist in the crowd? For those wondering what that's like, it's like Baptist, but with a lot more hummus. Just aggressive amounts of hummus everywhere. We love this stuff. And my parents immigrated from the Middle East, and they adapted to the American culture, which means they adapted to the money culture, which means payments are normal. Let's get a big house, let's get the cars, let's do it all and live life on payments. I had followed culture's ways of handling money instead of the kingdom way, instead of God's way. And the problem is, if you do what culture says when it comes to money, guess what you get? Culture-like results. And if you do what the Redeemer says to do with money, you get redeemed results. And that's what I'm here to tell you about. We seek wisdom from the Bible in so many areas, and yet we ignore it when it comes to money. As if the Bible has nothing to say about money. Turns out it has a lot to say. Over 2,300 scriptures on money, wealth, possessions in the Bible, more than heaven and hell combined. Apparently the authors knew that this whole treasures in heaven stuff we'd get pretty quickly. It was the treasures on earth part that we were going to struggle with. And so it's talked about a lot. Clearly God's concerned about how we manage our money. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. We need some transformation in the culture today, don't we? The world wants us to conform to its own image, to make decisions and operate under its wisdom. The problem is the world doesn't have much of it because the world has fallen. You can read about that in your Bibles in Genesis. Fascinating story. It doesn't live by the truth, so it's always going to let us down. So let's stop looking to culture for how to handle our money. If you want freedom with money, it takes biblical transformation. And for so many, the topic of money, we will talk about politics all day long, but when it comes to money, we shut down. Because there's so much shame, there's so much guilt, there's so much embarrassment, there's so much bondage when it comes to our backgrounds. We all grew up different with money. Some of y'all, you know, if you're, how many of y'all made a money mistake? You know what that makes you? Over 12. <laughs> but how many of you are living in that past and going, well, I'll always just be bad with money. I'm still paying on that decision. Every single month, I'm paying that lender. It doesn't have to stay this way. Through the lens of scripture, everything changes. Money doesn't become an obstacle and a stressing point. It becomes a tool for the kingdom. But I remember back in 2013, what life was like looking at this pile of debt going, how can someone pay this off in their lifetime, let alone in 18 to 24 months? And now as I take calls on the Ramsey show and speak and teach, I realize that there are really four areas that are holding us back from having freedom with money. The first is a lack of margin. 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Eight out of 10 of you in this room, in your row, most of you statistically are broke. 55% of Americans have less than 10 grand saved in retirement. Almost half of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency without turning to debt, swiping the card, robbing the 401k. This is a problem. And the truth is we make good money. And yet we have none, and we can't figure out why. Well, let me tell you why, church. You gave it all to a financial system that is designed to take it from you. And then we're shocked when we have none of it. Your greatest wealth-building tool is your income. And so we've got to get control of that. So how do you get out of the cycle? Well, you need a plan, and clearly George's plan wasn't working back in 2013. So I followed a proven plan based on those biblical principles that 10 million people have now followed through Financial Peace University, following the baby steps that you're going to learn about. And it's given them margin. It's given them financial peace. So here's what the baby steps look like. Baby step one, we're going to save $1,000 in a starter emergency fund. $1,000, that's it. Now for some of you, that's like, how am I going to do that? For a lot of you, you go, well, I got that money already. Great, we're moving on. This is a financial foundation, a little buffer from life. Next, we are going to save, uh, get rid of all of our consumer debt except the house using the debt snowball. All of it gone. That's what I did back in 2013. Beyond that, once we have that, we got our income back because we don't have payments anymore. So now we can save up a fully funded emergency fund of three to six months of expenses. So now, if a pandemic hits, a job loss, we're going to be okay. We still have margin. Once we've got that settled, we're going to start investing for the future, 15% of our income into retirement. We've got that plate spinning. Now we've got our mask on. We can focus on the kids and make sure they can go to college debt-free so that there's not another generation shackled by student loan debt. And you're going, why aren't you married yet? Why don't you have kids? Why don't you have a house? Why don't you have a car? Because they're broke. Because we let them get there. Once you start saving for college, your kid's going to college debt-free, now we can pay off the house early. And that's where it gets fun. Because now we don't have a payment in the world. But once we do that, we can continue to build wealth and give generously. And y'all are a generous church. I already have a glimpse of what y'all are doing in this community, and it's absolutely incredible. 
Now, I'm going to do a deep dive on these baby steps. I'm not going to talk a lot about them right here. Join me at 2 o'clock. We're going to cover baby steps 1 through 3. And in session 2 at 3 o'clock, I'm going to cover baby steps 4 through 7, all about building wealth. Now, notice a key part of this plan is getting out of debt and staying out of debt. Because debt is a thief, isn't it? And that should make you mad. It's robbing you from your future by demanding that you pay for the past. It wants answers. It's causing you to look backwards. Y'all got a crick in your neck because of how many payments you have. And we're called to look forward, to be future thinking. Proverbs 22.7 says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That's a strong statement. If we have debt, we've got another master in our life. And that's not okay. Now let me define debt, because as I take calls on the Ramsey Show, they go, all right, so uh, I'm debt-free. I mean, I have like a, a student loan and a car payment, but other than that, I'm debt-free. I'm like, hold the phone. We got to define debt, y'all. It's gotten out of control. Here's what debt is, owing anything to anyone for any reason. It's that simple. If you make a payment, you have debt. That's how it works. And here's what the Bible has to say about that. Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That's a Jesus juke right there. Here's the only debt you can have. Love to one another. Boom. And uh, the ESV version says it this way, which I love. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You know what you got when you don't have any payments? You got money. And you know what you can do when you, have, when you don't have any payments? Anything you want. The world is your oyster. You have options and you have margin. So how are we going to do all this? Well, there's a thread through this entire plan, and it comes down to budgeting. And this isn't one man's opinion. This is biblical. But when I mention budgeting, some of y'all get a little stressed out. You know what? You think of like Excel spreadsheets and like a bunch of accounting nerds. That's not what this is. We've got a tool called Every Dollar right there in your phone. It makes it super easy. And as a millennial, I'm not opening an Excel spreadsheet if I don't have to. John Maxwell says a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And most of us go, wait, where'd that paycheck go? Oh, went out to eating out and lenders. Fun, okay. And the Bible talks about budgeting, believe it or not. Luke 14, 28, 30. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. There's some embarrassment. If you're out spending what you make, you're going to be mocked. It might be by yourself. So we've got to get control of this, get on a budget. We're not paying attention to our money. We're not counting the cost, and that's why we don't have any margin. So we've got to create a budget, track it, stick to it, live on less than we make, get out of debt, and the margin and financial peace will follow. Now, I'm going to do a deep dive on budgeting in that first session, so be sure you're there for that. I'm going to show you exactly what this looks like in real time. Now, the second area we lack in is a lack of patience. How many of you feel like you have a lot of patience? Thank you for your honesty, three people in the room. I mean, you're in like the Costco gas line, the grocery store, the DMV. Lord, that's an opportunity to test your patience. We live in a microwave culture. We want everything now. We don't have time. We're running and gunning so fast. But I think the Bible's calling us to be a lot more like a crockpot. Slow and low, not in a rush. And everything's better when it comes out of a crockpot, isn't it? 
How many of y'all made popcorn in a microwave? How many of you have burned popcorn in a microwave? Approximately how many seconds did it take over the time for it to burn? One second. And it's ruined. And that's what's happening in our culture today. We try to do things fast and it ends up holding us back. We don't have vision for our lives. We're not thinking long term. We've got to think about the future. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Wow. TLB says this, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. That's some foreshadowing from the Bible. They knew how we were going to be as a culture, didn't they? If you spend everything you make, biblically speaking, you're a fool. I didn't say it, God did. Take it up with the manager. He can handle it. And this patience doesn't just come to spending. This, this also applies when it comes to long-term investing and building wealth. And the Bible talks about that too. Lo and behold, Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. We got to be the tortoise instead of the hare if we want to win, if we want to make a kingdom impact, which means we're going to avoid the distractions. Sorry, cryptocurrency. Sorry, beanie babies. Sorry, whatever get rich quick flavor of the day you, you heard about from your broke brother-in-law or your broke college buddy. We got to stop with the distractions and look what the Bible says about money. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. If it sounds like a shortcut, run as far away as possible. Because that is the shortest path to being broke, is through shortcuts. And God's not in a rush. Nowhere in the Bible is God running around like a chicken with his head cut off. He's got time. He has margin. He can be focused on opportunities to serve. But we're in a rush. We want it all now. And it's not all of our fault. Technology's ruined us, right? It's easy to, it's easy to make that the villain. Amazon Prime now. Two-hour delivery. Oh, my goodness. I have to pay for shipping. It's going to take a week to get here? No, thank you. Instacart. Get your pizza delivered in 30 minutes or less or it's free. We can't wait in today's culture. And the, one of the problems is we have access to anything and everything 24-7 all of the time right here, which has ruined our ability to be patient for anything. And the problem when it comes to goal setting, especially financial goals, is most people overestimate what they can do in a year. So they just don't do it but they underestimate what they can do in a decade. I mean, y'all saw my story. That was a nine-year journey from 2013 to 2021, going from $40,000 in the hole to having a paid-for house. It's going to take a while, and that's a good thing. That's how you keep what you've built. So the baby steps are in order, and I'll tell you the time frame. Baby step one takes about a month for most people, save $1,000. Baby step two is about 18 to 24 months for most people if they get intense. Sell stuff, side job, sell the car, whatever you got to do. Baby step three takes about six months to get three to six months of expenses. So hear this. In two and, a, two and a half years, on average, you can build a solid financial foundation for yourself and your family. But most people would rather suffer in mediocrity and stress for 40 years rather than sacrifice for two in order to have financial peace once and for all. So we've got to create a long-term vision for our life and be disciplined to get there. And here's what Hebrews says about discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's hard to build new habits, isn't it? 
We don't want to go to the gym, so what do we get? That saran wrap thing that's supposed to make us lose weight in four hours. <laughs> and it doesn't work. There's a reason it's as seen on TV. The people watching it are on the couch going, I ain't trying to work out. I'd be at the gym by now. Guess how you lose weight? Calorie deficit. Guess how you stop being broke? Live on less than you make. It's the same strategy. It's just really hard to do. So the antidote to a lack of patience is real simple and real hard. Delayed gratification. That's a magic word. You know what that means? Not getting the brand new iPhone because you have the 13 and the 14 just came out and your camera stinks. Or, here's one, getting that new car because yours got a scratch on it and it's no good anymore and your buddy got a new truck and it's a little bigger than yours and now you're a little self-conscious. That's a great reason to buy a brand new truck on payments. So if you're trying to get out of debt, you're trying to do this stuff, it means not caring what other people think. It means delayed gratification. You'll get that car, but you're going to pay cash for it, and it's going to be a used one, and you're going to do it five years from now. And that way, you own it, and it doesn't own you. So we've got to stay focused over the long term with your eye on the prize and avoid all the distractions out there in culture today. The next area we lack in is a lack of contentment. This is a hard one. This one might step on some toes out here, especially for us young people. Goodness, it's just never enough. Nothing's ever enough. One of the biggest reasons we outspend our bank account and make poor financial decisions is because we're not content with what we have. And the things we prayed for five years ago that we now have are not enough anymore. And we forget what the Lord has provided for us, that he gives us our daily bread. And we go, no, I need more bread, more bread. This ain't an olive garden, okay? We don't need unlimited breadsticks. We have exactly what we need. But we live in a comparison culture. The patient stuff, that's convenience culture, but we also have the comparison culture. We feel like what we have is never enough. And back in the day, some of you older folk are like, well, I didn't have that problem. That's because you only knew what your neighbors were doing on either side of you. We have the internet now. We can just scroll and instantly hate our life in minutes and be filled with envy. You go, look at what kind of vacation they going on. How did they afford that? We don't know and it's none of your business. Maybe they worked hard and paid cash. Maybe they're broke up to their eyeballs and they're going to pay for that vacation for the next year. And either way, it's none of your business. And often the evidence of our envy is debt, isn't it? It's one of the biggest reasons we go into debt. We don't think someone else should have it, so we get something nicer to show them. So we have too big of a mortgage payment because we had to have our dream house because our parents were pressuring us. And we, we deserve it. We work hard, so we need our dream house. We don't need the starter home. Now, back in the day, the homes were like... Two bed, one bath, every room is like, I grew up, my childhood bedroom is like a closet. And now you need your dream home because you saw it on HGTV and Chip and Joanna did it, so you can too. It's insane. And what do you get? You, got a new, you have to have a new car because old used cars are unreliable and unsafe. I need to protect my family. No, you need to protect your ego. That's why you bought that car, let's be honest. A 1991 Toyota Corolla is still on the road today and drives just fine. She's going to have less issues than your new car. So don't tell me it's for reliability and safety for the children. Oh my goodness. Enough with that. We've got to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses because the Joneses are broke and the Joneses have marriage problems. And the Joneses aren't called to the mission we are called. The grass always looks greener on the other side though, doesn't it? we got a big yard now and I don't know anything about lawn care. I've never mowed a lawn in my life. I'm going to own that right here in front of y'all and be vulnerable. I'm a Yankee, didn't have much of a yard growing up. And now I got one, and I don't know what to do. But my yard is not in great shape. It's got brown patches and holes. 
weeds. And I look at my neighbor's yard, and old Gary over there, it's pristine. This man has taken care of his lawn. So I was over at his house the other day in his backyard, and I was like, oh, dang, Gary's got some patches. From my perspective, it looked a lot better. But now that I'm in his yard, it ain't so pretty. And guess what? I looked over my yard and went, ooh, that's a good-looking yard. So it's all about perspective. That's what this comes down to. And the problem I found with some, running someone else's race is that there is no finish line. It's never enough. But we won, when we run the race we're called to, everything changes. Because now we're just trying to beat ourselves from yesterday. And that's a different journey. Teddy Roosevelt says, comparison is the thief of joy. So debt robs our income, comparison robs our joy. I think we ought to change both of those. And few things make people go broke as quickly as trying to appear rich. We ought to look rich. You go to the mall, the people who are buying Gucci and Prada are broke. The rich people got some mud on their boots and they're driving an old truck. And they're the millionaires out there. And you wouldn't know it by looking at them. We become discontent when we're driven by this consumer culture and our sinful nature to want more than what God has supplied us with. And here's what we know about spending. You can't spend your way into a meaningful life. More stuff will never make you more complete. It will always fail us. 1 Timothy 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So what does that tell us? One of the paths to contentment, maybe the only path, is godliness. When we have that kind of combo, we will see some amazing blessing in our life. So for some of us, we need to swallow our pride, get some better motives, maybe get some better friends, and not be so concerned about our embarrassment. I'm less concerned about embarrassment. I'm more concerned about our imprisonment when we're shackled by debt. So it's time to make some changes. And that might mean driving your old beater car, even though you want a new one, and it doesn't impress anyone, saying no to going out with friends this weekend because you have a priority to pay off debt. And they might make fun of you and think you're crazy. I think we need some crazy in today's culture because if, if this is what normal looks like, I would much rather be weird. Craig Rochelle says this about comparison. Comparison will make you either feel inferior or superior, and neither honors God. That's what I'm talking about earlier. Oh, our life's better than him, or man, we'll never have enough because look what they have. Look at the vacation they want, the car they drive, the house they have. And we have so much FOMO in today's culture. That's fear of missing out. And so we try to do as much as possible because what if, what if? Because now we can see on the internet all the stuff we're missing out on. Back in the day, you're just watching Price is Right in your little box TV. You don't know what's going on out there. So I think we need to have some JOMO in today's culture. Joy of missing out. That's right. I'm not scared of missing out. I'm scared of not fulfilling God's will. I'm scared of not being obedient. And there is joy in that, of doing what God has called me to do. So it's okay to have nice stuff. I'm not mad at your stuff. I just don't want that nice stuff to have you. And it all comes down to treasures. Matthew 6 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <sighs> That's a tough one. Now, if you don't think you struggle with this one, here's a quote from Peter Drucker. Tell me what you value, and I might believe you. But show me your calendar and your bank statement, and I'll show you what you really value. There's an exercise that'll convict us. Go look at our bank statement and see the last 20 purchases we made. Looks like our treasure is in Amazon and Target and eating out and buying stuff we didn't need that's going to sit in the closet that we're going to send to Goodwill six months from now. It's a problem. And if we master this one, we'll never go into debt again because we're content with what we have. We don't need more. And if we need it, God's going to provide. We're going to pay cash for it. So it doesn't hold us back. So practice gratitude for what you have. Get off social media if you have to. 
and you'll find that contentment. The only time I want you looking at your neighbor's bowl is to make sure they have enough. That's a powerful place to be. That is a different spirit. That is a godly spirit. And that is the final area holding us back from freedom with money, a lack of generosity. Y'all ever see these viral videos on social media and it's just an act of kindness and generosity and you're just weeping and you don't know why? It's because we're going back to who God created us to be, generous. And there's only three things you can do with money, church. You can save it, you can spend it, and you can give it. And it's fun to spend it a little bit, right? I want you to enjoy spending money. That's, that's part of the story. But I want you to save some too. Save for the future, be diligent. But giving is the most fun you'll ever have with money. What we just saw up there, blessing those teachers with those lounges, that's fun. That's better than any toy you can buy, giving joy to someone like that. And guess what? God is the greatest giver of all time. John 3, 16. He gave his only son. And let me remind you, we're made in his image. We're called to imitate him. So make this connection. The more generous you become, the more you're becoming who God made you to be. And that's what we should all be about. And even the Bible aside, if you look at science, they've even proven the benefits of generosity. It's good for your brain. The chemicals that it fires off, the way it impacts the receiver and the giver brings so much joy. It helps you live longer because generous people are less stressed. They have lower blood pressure. You meet someone who's just volunteering for fun because they have the margin and they love it. They're going to live to be a thousand. So maybe it's time we change the way we look at generosity. Second Corinthians says this about generosity. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if you're close-fisted as you hand that dollar over, that's not generosity. But when you do it open-handed with a smile, it makes God smile. And as believers, we understand a truth that the world doesn't. The world has no clue about this truth. We're stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And that changes the way we see money completely, doesn't it? That frees me. God has entrusted us to enjoy this money, to bless others, and do kingdom work. So whether I have a million dollars or ten dollars, it doesn't matter. I can't pat myself on the back. It's not my money, it's God's. So here's a question to ask ourselves. Am I more concerned about building my kingdom or his kingdom? And you look at that bank statement, you look at your behaviors and your actions, and that will tell you very quickly. You see, the point of the baby steps is not so that we can all just like get rich and take it to the grave and have a good time. The point is to be faithful, to be obedient, yes, to build wealth, but to have an impact that ripples through eternity. And the stuff that y'all are doing, that teacher's lounge, that's some kingdom-minded stuff that will ripple through eternity. And for generations to come, people will be impacted by generosity. So let's get practical. How can you start living a more generous life? where you're at today. First, you need to be tithing. That's the baseline. That's the soft toss from the Bible saying, here's a great place to start. 10% of our income going to the local church. Now, this is just trusting God with a tenth of our income. Remember, it's his money. So really, we just get a 90% cut. And there's a reason we tithe first in the budget. It's the first line item. is because it's a reminder of whose this is. If you put it last, then it's like, all right, fine, you get, it. Well, you get the scraps there. Now, I want that to be front and center as I set my budget, as I commit to spending and saving that I'm giving first. And God doesn't want your money. A lot of people go, well, God, why does God need money? 
That doesn't make sense. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And if you can't bother to be generous with the first 10%, then he doesn't have your heart to begin with. Proverbs 3 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Y'all, this isn't talking about farming. This was for us. When we honor the Lord with our wealth, we will be blessed. And tithing is not a baby step. You notice that. And that's because you are to tithe and be generous at every step of the journey. When you're broke, give. When you're rich, give. Because guess what? Money's just a magnifying glass, isn't it? It just makes you more of what you already are. All evil, rich, you've heard about this, and rich people are evil. Well, there's another word for people who aren't that way. It's called philanthropists. And they can change the world. They can change communities. So if you're stingy and broke, you're just going to be a stingy rich person when you have some money. And if you're generous and broke, you're going to be a really generous person when you got some. And here's the thing. A lot of you are going, well, I don't make enough money. The problem with this is if you can't manage 40000 what makes you think you'll be blessed with sixty, blessed with a hundred? And some of you, understandably, you're a little anxious about this. You're going, man, I'm living paycheck to paycheck right now. How am I supposed to tithe? Well, here's what Malachi says about the tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Wow. Now, if you remember in other spots in the Bible, Matthew, Deuteronomy, it says, do not test the Lord your God. This is a a no-go zone. This is the only time in the Bible the Lord himself says, test me. Come at me, bro. See if you can't outgive the greatest giver of all time. See if I won't bless you with so much abundance that it explodes your brain. So God wants you to test him, to trust him in this, to obey and see how he shows up. Now, tithing is planned generosity, and we love that. That's a great baseline. But it gets really fun when you can be spontaneously generous. That's the stuff that really gets to our heart, that makes us cry. Because when your cup runneth over, guess what you can do? You can fill someone else's cup who may not have enough. When you're not worried about your own bills, you can worry about your server at Waffle House's bills. Can she cover her bills? So me and my wife, we have a line item in our budget, and it's the most fun we have. It's called the Bless Up Fund. And we just get to look around because we're not inward focused. We're not worried about our own money, so we can worry about other people. And we go, hey, that person over there, they... There's an opportunity to serve them and be generous. They just do it. And it's not even a conversation. We have to worry about it. We don't need to scrape the money together. We've already allocated a chunk of money just to give spontaneously. So a coworker of mine was going through some hard times, health problems, cancer, car repairs, and we just get to write them a check and go, hey, hope this helps. And for those in this community, someone can't pay their light bill, let's just write them a check to cover the light bill for the rest of the year. And these teacher's lounges, y'all, it's amazing. You can give with your time, talents, and resources, but guess what? Furniture costs money. And so it's hard to be generous when you're broke. And here's another thing about generosity. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And this is not some kind of karma. It goes around, comes around. This is saying when you are obedient, blessing is on the other side. The giver and the receiver benefit from this transaction. On top of planned and spontaneous, my favorite is outrageous generosity. 
This is where we think big. This is where we change entire communities, like y'all are doing right here. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Some of us, we can't even focus on the present, let alone think about a legacy 30 years from now. What do we want to be remembered for? What do we want on that gravestone? That dash right there in between, what is that going to be about? Proverbs 13.22 has something to say about this. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So if building wealth and having money is so evil, then why would the Bible say that we need to leave our children's children an inheritance? Well, you've got to have money to be able to do that. You know it's evil when you pass away and you leave your family grieving and broke, and now they're worried about how they're going to pay the bills next week. If, I wanna, if I'm going to go when it's my time, I want to go and they go, we're really sad, but oh boy, we're not worried about our finances. We got that taken care of. The house is paid off. We don't owe anyone anything. We got a million dollars in the bank in retirement. Now our church back in Franklin, Tennessee, Church of the City, we merged with another church called People's Church back in the day. And with that merge, we inherited $7 million of debt. And we looked up and the staff found that we were sending a million dollars every year to a lender. And it got us thinking, hey, what could we do with an extra million dollars as a church? And so they went about the business of paying $7 million off in just over a year and became completely debt-free. <sighs> Y'all, the stuff we get to do now as a church, because we don't have to send a payment to a lender every month, a million dollars a year. We just started a ministry center called The Village. And now we provide counseling resources for mental health and suicide prevention. We started a cars ministry where we just give cars to single moms who need it. We started a foster care ministry where we can provide tangible needs to foster families and the kids. We deliver groceries. We do laundry. We provide lawn care, child care. We run errands for them. What if that was what the church is known for? I know they're already stepping into this. The community already knows Grace Assembly as a generous community who wants to serve. And so allow me to step on a soapbox for a second, because y'all got this taken care of, but I just have a little, uh, it grinds my gears, some of the churches in America today. We need a personal brand makeover. I want us to be known for generosity. I want servers all over Greenwood. Maybe this is just Nashville. I don't know. We live, in, we live in the Bible Belt, and we are the buckle of the Bible Belt in Nashville. We have the most churches per capita of any city in America. I mean, you throw a rock and you're going to hit a church. We got more Baptists than people there. I don't know how they did it. I'm one of them. But servers in Nashville, they don't want to work on Sundays. You know why? It's because of the churchgoers. They're rude. They're demanding. They don't tip well. So they go, oh, gosh, the Sunday shift. I don't want to work on the Sunday lunch shift. I want servers all over Greenwood fighting over the Sunday shift because they know y'all are going to show up and bless them outrageously. And the truth is, when you're in debt, it's just hard to do that. You're robbed of the ability to live the way God intended, with freedom. It's stressful. And even worse, it's normal. And y'all know we are set apart. We're not called to be normal. We're called to be different, to be led by the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Y'all, we would see a revival in this culture if we could see more of those character traits in the church, in our communities, and in our culture. That's the person God designed us to be, those character traits. 
And that's something worth chasing after because that's chasing after the heart of God, not after the heart of man. So let me ask y'all, where's the fruit? We're seeing it up here. But we need to get our own personal finances in order because our handling of money is an obstacle holding us back from producing that kind of fruit. And let me say, this is not a salvation issue. You can get to heaven just fine without doing any of this stuff. But until then, our time here on earth, you are missing out on some rich blessings on this side of heaven if we ignore this stuff. You know, I remember back in 2013, I know how hard this is. The thing I'm asking you to do to live differently, to sell a bunch of stuff, to get the side job, to get out of debt so that you can build wealth and be generous is difficult. There's paradigm shifts. You've got to believe different things, act different. Changing habits is hard. We know that. But it's so worth it. It is a worthy cause. So a Financial Peace University class is starting one week from today at 6 o'clock. And how cool would it be if you guys locked arms as cheerleaders and everyone joined that class? And we said, we're going to be different. Let's see one year from now how this church has changed, how our communities are changed, because we decided to get a handle on our money. And it's a small investment that pays big dividends. If you invest 100 bucks and you end up saving $5,000 and paying off $3,000 in debt, and you change your family tree, you change your legacy, that's worth it. We, you'll spend that on lunch today. But we won't invest that into our financial future. We won't commit showing up on a Sunday at 6 p.m. for nine weeks. Then how are we going to stick to anything for 10 years? So this is a starting point. And I want to see all of y'all in that class. The coordinators are incredible. It's going to be a rich time. Find childcare. Do whatever you have to do. Make this a priority in your life. Because if you don't, you're going to be back here five years from now, and I'll be back here on stage, and you'll go, man, we should have done that financial peace thing five years ago, 10 years ago. Isn't that how it always goes with money? Wish I knew about this 10 years ago, 20 years ago. That's everyone who follows our plan. They say that. So make sure you join. We also got these breakouts at two and three. I'm going to be talking about how to get out of debt and how to budget, how to save up that emergency fund in fine detail. Session two, we'll be talking about investing and saving for college and paying off your house early and generosity and what that looks like with deep dives. But here's the key. When you follow God's ways of handling money, it creates breathing room in your bank account. We all need that. And when you have breathing room in your bank account, guess where else you have it? In your life. It's hard to have that without that. So that kind of margin gives you options. That kind of options gives you freedom. That kind of freedom gives you peace. And that kind of peace gives you joy. And all of that leads to a life well spent impacting the kingdom. Job bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we commit today to move from being consumers of culture, being inward focused, to being kingdom contributors, to being stewards of what you've entrusted to us. Spirit, guide us. This is hard work and we need you. We cannot do this without you. Guide us to take control of our finances. We surrender our lives, we surrender our hearts, and we surrender our bank accounts to you, Lord. Help us be about your kingdom work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to the Grace Assembly of God podcast so you're up to date on all sermons. Also, if you want more Grace content, make sure you subscribe to the Deeper Grace podcast, where Pastor Wayne will dive deeper into his most recent message. Have a great week and God bless.